the heart of art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. All right, you guys, so for our show today, we have a great show planned. Um, I will be revisiting my conversation that I had with Alok Menon uh, back in March. And if you don't remember, they are an Indian-American poet, performer, activist, model, and just all-around creative. Um, they are from College Station. They were born and raised here. Uh, uh, and now they have over a million followers on Instagram. Yes, that's how uh, big of a poet they are. Yeah, it's crazy to see someone from College Station doing such big things. So uh, we have a great conversation about poetry and about our relationship with our own art. Uh, so make sure to stay tuned. And we will also be revisiting my conversation with Dr. Warren Warren. And he is a blues musician, part of the the Bad 455s uh, band that plays locally. Um, he specifies in the electric guitar, uh, but he's also an instructional associate professor under the Department of Sociology. So a great conversation. Uh, he also wrote a series called Fatuplets, uh, which is, explains how to use quintuplets, which he says is a hole in music education. So make sure to stay tuned. Um, and now for our, our announcements, uh, if you don't already know, we are currently in our pledge drive. So if you like this show and you would like to show some support toward uh, this show, you know, you'd like the way I interview people or you like the the themes we tackle, um, make sure to, if you can, show some support for KMU and, and make a pledge. Uh, I know they are going uh, right now through morning edition. Uh, so from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., um, you can make your, your pledge tomorrow morning or also during All Things Considered uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. So if you can, show some support. All right. And now for uh, the gallery, we'll be having a floral design workshop. That's tomorrow, July 28th at 6 p.m. Um, this is also a fundraising event where all proceeds will be going to the patrons of the arts of uh, Brazos Christian School. So um, the instructor will be Joanna Dutton who is a class of uh, 2011 from Texas A&M floral design grad. And each ticket will be $50. And I believe this will provide you with all the necessary equipment that you need for this event. And I also did want to remind you of my email, which is theheartofart at tamu.edu. Um, if you have any um, anybody who's willing to be interviewed for their art or if you have any art events, I really need your help. So if you guys know of any cool events going on around town, make sure to email them to me and I will make sure to spread that event out here uh, using the show. So make sure to email theheartofart at tamu.edu. All right, let's start the show. Today in the studio, we have a very special guest. Well, they are not actually in the studio. We are actually communicating through Zoom. Um, but bear with me. This is going to be quite a bit of an introduction. Uh, they are an Indian-American poet, comedian, author, activist, performer, model, and world superstar, really. And uh, they are the author of three uh, books, Beyond the Gender Binary, Your Wound, My Garden, and Feminine Public. And if you'd like to check out their Instagram, uh, it is Alok V. Menon, Alok, A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And yeah, welcome to the studio, Alok. Nice to have you today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So 
You grew up here in College Station. Uh, where are you currently? I live in New York City currently. Okay, awesome, awesome. And did you begin writing here in College Station? I totally did. Um, I was probably 11 or 12 years old when I started to write my first poems. I was a middle schooler at either Cypress Grove or College Station Middle School. And I needed somewhere to author myself into existence. I didn't really have language to describe who I was or what I was feeling. And so I turned to writing as a way to experiment. And at the time, I didn't really call it poetry. It was more just my journal. And I would publish anonymously under a pseudonym online. And then people online would say, you're a poet. And I was like, I guess I am. Wow, that's awesome. Um, there was a part in Beyond the Gender Binary where you talk about uh, your culture and being here in College Station. And I, I, I viewed that kind of like as the place where you kind of started performing even, you know, when you were like dancing as a little kid and people would like cheer you on. Uh, would you say that that is the case? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a very tight-knit Indian community in College Station, and we would have kind of potluck dinners every weekend. And I would use those as an opportunity to do my own interpretive dance to the latest Bollywood songs. And at that time in my life, I didn't really have any shame. It was so much more about creative self-expression. I didn't care what other people thought. Mm -hmm. Right. I also liked how you paralleled, well, I think you paralleled, that's how I viewed it, um, how your parents kind of chose to hang out with people that were like them. And I think you did the exact same thing once you were able to? Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, I dealt with having to navigate completely different worlds as a young person at College Station. There were people who were totally okay with gender and sexuality, and then those who totally weren't. And so I was sort of confused from a young age because while I might have acceptance in my home, I didn't feel like that was reflected out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then once you did leave College Station, uh, you went to Stanford, correct? And you have two bachelors? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then a master's in sociology, right? Yeah. Do you think all of this studying kind of helped you put words to what you were experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. I think so much of my life has been about trying to take intangible experiences and translate them into language or images. And as an undergraduate, I was desperate to find out if there were other people in the world who had gone through the things that I had gone through or felt the things that I felt. I think growing up in College Station, Texas, I didn't know it was possible to be non-binary or neither a man nor a woman. And it was only in university when I discovered that there had always been people like me And then in fact, as an Indian person, that there had been people like me in my culture for thousands of years, that actually so many times those people were actually recognized as sacred and spiritual leaders in our community. Right. And that's so different from the culture that we live in. So I had a question, like, what is poetry exactly to you? Because I know it can be like, you know, a special intensity of emotion given um, through style and rhythm, but... I would say that also, like, your modeling is poetry and your performance as well. Yeah, totally. I think I began with a narrow idea of poetry as just text. And then in college, I started to perform it, and so poetry became about oration and storytelling. And then when I moved to New York City, 
I realized that poetry was actually a way of living. And what that means for me is about recognizing that there are no rules. The joy of a poem is that there's no fixed template. You're kind of making it up as you go on and your compass is beauty. So you just want to accomplish that, a kind of striking moment, an arresting moment of beauty. And so for me, what poetry is, is about an orientation and intention towards beauty and everything that I do. A reverence for experimentation, a commitment to um, revision, because I also think what I love about poetry is that it's it, 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 it's never fixed. I can go back to poems I wrote years ago and decide to change them and evolve. And I think that's the same thing as human beings. We're constantly rough drafts. Right. I think you embody that so well. Um, I wanted to highlight this line from What Lives in Death from Your Wound My Garden, page two. Um, you were talking about poets themselves, and you said, we fling ourselves into ourselves. Would you say that this is like your creative technique? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I think defines our era is in the past in like Greek and Roman empires, they would have sculptures with people holding like spears or triumph. I think our era, it's someone holding a selfie camera directed back to themselves. Like those are the sculptures we have. Definitely. We have now developed technology that allows us to introspect in a way that we never could before. So much of what life was before the advent of modern technology relied on other people's interpretations of who we should be. But I think in my generation, it was one of the first generations we could kind of turn the camera to ourselves and ask, what is my self-image? Who do I want to be for myself? What is my idea of self-intimacy? And that's where so much of my poetic impulse comes from, is that kind of excavation work of trying to figure out who am I on my own terms. Um, what would you say this creative process of creating a piece of poetry is like? Um, where do you start? Yeah. Um, the truth is the majority of the work of being an artist is less about the actual composition process and more about living because you have to absorb things around you, notice them in order to have ammunition, if you will, for your poems. So for me, it looks like paying attention. When I'm walking down the street, what do I see? What strikes me as beautiful or meaningful or, in it, or interesting? And then I keep this massive notepad on my phone of funny things, curious things, ideas that I'm learning. And so then when I'm deciding it's time to write a poem, I kind of revisit that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I really like that image of, let's say, a, 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 a taxi splashing water onto a sidewalk. Let me sit about what is it about that I like about that image? What I like about it is it, takes two separate fields, a sidewalk and a street, and water unifies them. And people think of this as pollution or as an annoyance. But what if I was to actually say that it was a reminder of something? And so then I think about what that image represents for me, and then the poem unfurls from the image. And in the same way, when I'm constructing an outfit, I begin with one thing, be it an earring or a heel, and then I construct the entire outfit around that thing. So every poem has a heart, um, which is the sort of center that then unfurls, kind of like the blossoming of a flower. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 
everyone should have, you know, that little notepad, whether it be on your phone or a physical notepad. Why do you write? Do you write for others or do you write for yourself? Yeah, I guess I would say I no longer see the distinction between myself and others. Mm. And every good poem seeks to collapse that false distinction. Um, you know, so much of the work I try to do as an artist is not just to say there have always been people who are neither man nor woman, but rather to say that all dichotomies are simplification and that actually there's always been a space between that's shared. And as a poet, I want to create a kind of gallery of every emotion I've ever felt and have people walk through it and be like, wait, I felt that same thing. How could we be so different and yet still feel the same thing? That's what a poem allows me to do. And I learned the power of poetry growing up in College Station, Texas, where I started writing and performing because I realized that even though people kept on saying that I was different because of my family's religion or race or my gender or my sexuality, we all felt the same kind of loneliness, the same kind of pain and anguish and curiosity. And so poetry was the place that I could actually explain and show people, hey, I'm just like you. And when I say I'm just like you, what I mean is that I feel and feeling is what makes us human. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, you know, you've gotten so much recognition for your work. Um, do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome at times, you know, maybe from pressure from viewers or fans? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like I feel very confident now writing poetry. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I feel very confident about so many things I do in my life. But that's never been enough for me. It's always about pushing to the next kind of thing. Like, I want to make more visual art. I want to think more about acting and cinema. And then the imposter syndrome flares up there. Like, oh, my God, I should stay in my lane. Mm -hmm. I should just be an author. But I really, truly feel like the purpose of being alive is to continue to grow. And a lot of what I write about, actually, is that we have to continue to shed skin. Like, we outgrow the narrative that we wrote about ourselves continually. And that's what it means to be alive, is to continually push and seek something else, strive for something else. And so I think the imposter syndrome comes in because it's trying to keep me safe. It's trying to say, stay in this familiar zone where you're loved. But every time in my life, I've learned that when we stay, it ends up being loveless because we stay out of fear. So what we have to do is take the first jump. It's writing the first stanza. It's going outside for the first time in a dress. It's looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to love myself today. You have to take that first jump. And that's how you get through imposter syndrome. There's no medicine. There's no mantra. There's no advice. It's just actually looking at fear in the face and saying, welcome, I know you're here to stay, but so am I. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a certain level of um, knowing yourself and honesty with yourself that you have to achieve in order to be able to do this. Um, I would say your poetry is at times even like um, harshly honest. And would you say that you're encouraging others also to be honest with themselves? Yeah, all we can do is show up and say the truth mm -hmm. and poets have always been arbiters of the truth 
and people who speak it, even when it's unpopular. And what I try to do in my poems is to actually create a fingerprint that is uniquely me. Um, it's my soul's fingerprint. And it's honest to what I felt when I was writing that poem. And that's probably going to change, you know? Like, I look back at things that I wrote years ago, like I mentioned, I'm like, whoa, who was that person? <laughs> but then I realized it was like who I was at that moment, and that's honest. Um, and I, I, I guess what really, what really moves me about poetry as a method and as a form is it's often the most difficult form of writing to do because no one wants to read poetry. <laughs> And you have to convince people you need this poem and they're looking at you like what the hell? like never um you have to model and you have to act and you have to do comedy and you have to dance around to get people to read a poem and so what is so sacred about poetry for me is its link to oration before we could even write down things we told stories like poems and i think when I'm saying that our job on earth is to say the truth, what I actually am saying is that the most honest way to speak is a poem. And that the rest, noise, um, actually what I want to do is not just write poetry, but speak it. And, and to speak poetry means to continue to, to be honest about what I'm doing, even if people don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. I feel like you transformed your pain into poetry and you know, poetry transforms people. So thank you for that. Um, I know you mentioned that you want to go into cinema. Um, what are some other projects that you might be looking into the future? Yeah, I mean, speaking of poetry, I, I'm going to be recording audiobooks of my two poetry books, which I'm really excited about. That's awesome. something I've been meaning to do for such a long time. And um, I'm excited to think about like how to incorporate sound more into the poem. Um, because they, they're so there's so much like music to me and then yeah I'm I'm starting to act which is funny I never thought I'd end up here but here I am so I have some cool acting projects on the horizon awesome. and um I think also what I'm trying to do is redefine beauty and and that takes many forms um, and what a redefinition of beauty looks like for me is saying beauty is what is, not what ought. So beauty is what already exists around us. It's not something that we have to change or modify in order to actualize. And so with beauty as my compass, I guess I'll just end up wherever it takes me. Right. Um, I did want to ask uh, something a little more personal, um, what this interview meant to you and like what you would say to the people of College Station listening now. Yeah, you know, I used to listen to this radio station all the time. My parents were big fans, and it would be on when we were driving to school or not. And College Station is a complicated place because it makes so many people feel impossible and unlovable. And I guess I would ask, how can we continually choose love over fear? How in every airwave, not just from a radio, but in a conversation with a friend, spread the message of love? And how can we recognize that love is actually the most powerful and productive force in the universe? So it means a lot to be here. It feels like an act of love. And I wish that I had heard a voice like mine when I grew up there. And if you are someone like me there, 
know that I love you and I'm rooting for you and you belong. Wow. Thank you for that. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And uh, if you'd like to check out ALOC's work, make sure to check out their Instagram at ALOC V Menon. That's A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. So once again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, you guys, we will be going on a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We will be right back. Hello and welcome, everyone, to the KME Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Warren Warren, and he's currently an instructional associate professor at the College of Liberal Arts under the Department of Sociology and is author of a book series titled Photuplets. And it actually currently has three volumes, and he's working on a fourth one right now. So hello, Warren. How are you today? Hi, Hector. It's good to be here. Awesome. I'm very happy to have you. I don't know much about guitar, so I am willing to be educated on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, um, the guitar, of course, is is the coolest and the sexiest of instruments and Mm -hmm. so everyone wants to play the guitar and and i'm an electric guitar player and i play blues and rock in a local band called the bad 455s right and um oh there's a there's a part of music education that's kind of uh there's a hole in that education a lot of times we skip fives we teach Mm -hmm. young musicians how to how to play in twos and threes, and everyone's familiar with with triplets or with sixteenth notes, but it's rare for us to to train even at the intermediate or the advanced levels. It's rare for us to work with quintuplets, with quintuplet figures, okay. and so I put together uh, a list of a couple of hundred of these uh, quintuplet figures for modern electric rock guitar and split it out over three books and one book introduces the concept and and the second book uh, introduces cycles uh, how to play tuplets that repeat and then the third book has uh, musical sequences these five note sequences that slowly move across the octave up or down and yeah, and so that's awesome. those are the three books that are out now. Right now, I'm working on the fourth book, which uses chord tones. So these are arpeggio figures that, again, are grouped into five-note groupings. But that's the thing, is that usually we, we skip fives. We, skip. We, joke, we joke among musicians that musicians can only count to four. Mm-hmm. So we just... We count to four. If you ask us to count to six, we really just count to three twice. Right. So um, we skip fives, and and fives we skip fives for a reason. And the reason is is that it's an odd number, like triplets. It's 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 not symmetrical. It doesn't just fall together well. But on the guitar, it's a little bit more complicated, and we have this right hand business where we have to pick down, up, down, up, down. Things begin to get complicated. Right, that's a whole and, other animal. And and so we solved this problem by ignoring it. Okay. By, by just not not teaching <laughs> like our a students. Lot of the things we do. <laughs> yeah, and and what ends up happening is that, uh, well, I feel like we've got a a five note shaped hole in our music in mm. in the way that we express ourselves through improvisation. Okay. 
Okay. Now, again, I'm a, I'm a blues musician, and, and blues music, uh, there are many wonderful things about blues music, but one of the most attractive things about blues is that it, it invites improvisation in a real free-form way. Okay. Um, it's really only jazz music is comparable, but, but even jazz, there are more limitations, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, because jazz follows the chord progression a little bit more than blues does. Blues is quite wide open. It's quite free uh, in its uh, improvisational style. But even within that freedom, we rarely have five-note figures, these five-note phrases. It's kind of a word that has five syllables. It's rare that we have that. Uh, and it's so common for us to have triplets, especially in blues music. We like triplets. Uh, so we have lots of triplets and lots of 16th note figures. And then some of the modern blues guitarists like Joe Bonamassa, uh, you know, fantastic guitarists, they, they'll introduce six note figures. And every now and then they'll sprinkle in these five note figures. And so kind of the, the modern expression within blues is beginning to incorporate these five-note figures, but we haven't had a, a real dedicated workbook to take guitar players from an intermediate level through the advanced level, and they come out the other side and they know how to construct and create with five-note uh, figures with quintuplets. Okay. I kind of want to go a little bit about your personal story and mm-hmm. where you're from and how you got here to the Brazos Valley. Yeah. So I'm, I'm an Aggie, and so I, I got my Ph.D. here a few years ago in the past mm-hmm. and, uh, and got the opportunity to, uh, uh, to teach and work in New Orleans for a little while and then, and then worked at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. And then my wife and I were invited back, and so now we both teach here in the sociology department. And I've been working with a wonderful band called the Bad 455s, and right. we play all of the fun juke joints and and all the biker bars and all the fun stuff in that that shadow region between Houston and Austin we play all those in between places so down to LaGrange and and uh through Waco and all that kind of stuff we get a a chance to area of space yes and so um and yeah we've we played a couple of hundred shows together before the pandemic we Actually, just as the pandemic hit, we had a run of shows at the Third Floor Cantina in Bryan, and it was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful run there. And and around that time, I was starting to introduce these five-note phrases into my blues playing, and my bass player was giving me the the side eye, like, "What are you doing? This is not a jazz outfit, you know. Right. This is this is blues and rock, but it can still sound." kind of rock and it it definitely sounds new and fresh and and that can be good so all right um so then when the pandemic hit well we had to cancel all of our all of our shows all of our gigs and um and i had this this box that was filled with with napkins from Denny's and with post-it notes and and i had just written these five note figures on anything and i had lo- Lots of photos on my phone of of these five note figures that I had written down, and I thought I would just organize them into a a reasonable uh, workbook again to take students or people. And again, this is not a it's not a beginning level it's not a beginner's level technique. This is right. kind of intermediate or advanced, but we all still need to learn. And wherever we are, we need to grow from there, and to be able to take the intermediate student and introduce this five note concept. 
All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Alok Menon and Dr. Warren Warren for being part of uh, this week's episode. And thank you guys. And make sure to support with a pledge if you are able to do so. If you want to show your support for this show or for KMU as a whole, we'd really appreciate it. Have a great week and make sure to tune in next week. I'm Hector Nino and you've been listening to The Heart of Art, a production of 90.9 KAMU-FM. You can find all of our shows anytime at kamu.tamu.edu.